Mr. Speaker. All right, Morena, to you all out there once again. It's Jamie Green here. Hi, how you doing? It's the Radio 1 Breakfast. It's time for politics. First, though, I'll just apologise for that last track. Uh, it came up on the playlist, and it said uh, Blondie cover, and I thought, yeah, sure. That's, it would be great. That's the, like, there's a cover of Telephone. I'm not saying it wasn't a great song. I'm just saying it's not great for half past eight in the morning. Mm. Uh, but anyway, Morena John. Yes, Kira Kote. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank it's you. time for politics. Uh, we're going to kick off with... Uh, uh, yeah, well, I guess, I guess it, it, the university is a in a, um, a public institution. Entity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yes. own, it's, More it's or own, less. It's owned by, by the people. Mm. You know, it has this internal structure. It's just like, um, you know, uh, any... Um, government company, right? A government-owned company uh, runs independently of the government, mm. gets government funds, but still, essentially, it's yours and ours. Um, or oh, it should be, at least. <laughs> yeah, it should be. We, some of us wish uh, it was more like that. But anyway, critics email uh, the the scandal behind the menstrual ish- menstruation issue that was taken off the stands. That's back in the news, uh, with Campus Watch internal emails being released after an official Information Act request from stuff.co.nz. Um, let's go back in time. Let's travel back a little bit and uh, get to the nitty-gritty of what happened originally. Let's, let's remind the people. Yes, yeah, so uh, earlier this year... A critic pointed out what was, what was seen as a controversial issue on um, with a menstruation theme. Of course, that shouldn't be a controversial issue at all. But the cover uh, was seen by some people in power uh, as offensive, and um, so hundreds of copies of Critic were removed from the university at the time um, on Dunedin campus, and uh, this led to accusations of censorship. Mm. which seemed pretty fair enough. <laughs> so yes. All the copies had been removed and dumped and um, led to a protest uh, over the university. Uh, action, the university completely uh, backed down, claimed that there were no orders to, and it was all a mistake and we're very sorry. Uh, the Vice-Chancellor said it was a great issue and she loved it. Um, but uh, I don't know about any compensation uh, from the university or... Uh, <laughs> no. Yes. No, I mean, it costs money to print those magazines, and yes. advertisers are in that magazine as, as well, and that's where the money comes mm. from. If the ads aren't being seen for that week, well, what value are they getting as well, and mm. then they, do they continue on in the future? Uh, but the, uh, the Vice-Chancellor also said, well, you know, they're getting some really good publicity out of this, and their readership will be widened, which I think, is, you know, it's not like the, um, they printed more issues of the next one, so no. how could it be uh, any wider than it already was? Mm. Yes, it, it felt like on her part she has been, I would say, quite disingenuous and it was all about sort of uh, controlling the negative news that went international in regards to the university uh, censoring That's a, right. a student magazine. And this, you know, that, that, that cover, um, you know, it was of a non-binary person, mm. um, you know, it, it wasn't overly offensive, it was a pretty grotesque image in terms of like it was like this big bobbly thing you know yeah. when I say grotesque I, I use it quite loosely it was just like some, it was uh, using Minecraft imagery wasn't y- it? yeah I believe so yes. I, believe, I, don't, I know nothing of Minecraft um, but anyway what do the emails say 
Well, the, I find the emails uh, fascinating. So basically the emails consist of a conversation between the proctor, who's effectively the cop on campus, if you like, and uh, campus, campus Watch staff. Um, so it's, uh, it starts off with one Campus Watch staff saying that he was absolutely disgusted with this magazine, um, he or she, uh, and that it was trash and filth. Um, and, and then goes on to say that it doesn't promote the values that the Campus Watch is trying to protect and um, that we need to do something about it. Um, then uh, another um, Campus Watch member staff says it's offensive and inappropriate. Um, then the proctor jumps in. So this is where things get interesting. Yes. Uh, he said he's been, as a whole, disappointed by Critic this year. Mm. And he said he's uh, raised concerns with Critic in the past. Um, and he said, I share uh, your concerns about young people viewing this magazine. So there's no smoking gun here. There's no smoking gun no. saying the proctor ordered uh, the campus watch to seize the magazine. But there's a lot of circumstantial evidence here. And if you, um, I'm sure if it went, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm sure if it went to court, say, uh, it seems that um, the proctor is discussing with campus watch uh, his strong dislike of this edition and of critics generally, mm. uh, there's a lot of strong words used uh, uh, in regards to, to critic being disgusting, etc., which the proctor doesn't challenge. Um, and then uh, the next step is that what we know is that uh, Campus Watch went around uh, confiscating all the magazines and dumping them. So smoking gun, no, but lots of circumstantial evidence. Yeah. So the, uh, were these emails pre-confiscation? We don't have a date, do yeah, we? Yeah, I don't. I don't have that information. No, and neither um, on the stuff website or ODT. Yes, that's right. They haven't released. One thing I found details. interesting was the values comment. Um, you know, mm. values they're trying to create and protect um, for a bunch of free citizens. Mm. Yes, it sounds very Orwellian. It does. It does. <laughs> uh, you know, um, you may have your personal values, or the entity in itself may have its personal values, but you can't force them onto people. And it seems that they—that's what they would like to do. Yes, um, and I just think it's extraordinary that uh, um, security staff and the proctor um, would would even discuss um, in work-related emails, even discuss the contents of the. But that's right. Magazine. This is internal emails, mm. and they're you know ridiculing the magazine. Mm. They're calling it totally offensive. Now these are workplace emails. If they were mm. doing it on their private emails. Uh, between yeah, friends. they have that right. Th that's yep. right. But Go home doing... and discuss it with their partners or whatever, their kids. But yeah. No, th this is, this, these are work-related emails uh, discussing affairs of campus, and I think it's quite chilling that, yeah. um, that the, the proctor feels quite free and easy to, to slag off uh, the student magazine, to, to uh, say that he, he's not happy with students reading it. Um, and it wasn't just a slagging off this particular issue. It seemed like he wasn't happy with the magazine as a whole as were these Campus Watch members. And again, I think that's very chilling and mm. unacceptable. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, you know, and it's, you know, they're, if they're saying that about the student press, you know, what is it saying about freedom of press as well, mm. you know? Mm. It seems like they have an agenda. Mm. Um, they think, you know, critic doesn't go against their values and they'll, f and they'll fight against... Um, critic and what they produce and obviously he's had op opinions of what they've produced in the past and has had words with them mm. trying to tell them 
what they can and cannot and grant. And again, that's unacceptable um, for, I, I believe it's unacceptable for the proctor um, to, to uh, make any comments on the content of uh, critic. And, you know, uh, we now know he's overstepped his mark in a number of cases, for example, illegally uh, entering student flats and, and taking um, bongs, um, uh, which the, the university um, apologised for on his behalf and he apologised for. But uh, he, he seems quite happy to... Um, uh, go beyond what is his core role and um, yeah and, and, and hyper managing students yeah yeah well, once again it's you know that comes back to what they perceive as the values that they're trying mm. to entrench for them. and what are these values what are these values and yes. how can they I mean how can they uh, break, well with the bombs and whatnot you know that's off campus mm. Mm, so, exactly. You know, what right do they have to be forcing their values mm. off campus? Uh, well, well, Andrew Geddes said, um, uh, the law professor here at Otago, that the the proctor has no more right than any other citizen to uh, enter someone's uh, flat and mm. take their positions, which means uh, he, if any of us did that, uh, we would be arrested. Um, and, and clearly the proctor in this case broke the law when, yeah. when he entered those students' flats. And he's got away with it. And he essentially got away with um, um, his comments about Critic. Hopefully there's more, I guess it's a shame it's the end of the year, and uh, so Critic's already finished for the year and um, everything's winding oh, down at campus, mm. but um, yeah I hope uh, um, the sh- uh, OUSA administration and Critic uh, take up this issue next year. Yeah, it's interesting how um, just reading some comments on stuff, and I know I never should, but people are just like, oh you know, they just People try. They're just trying to get attention. They're just bringing out these issues to get. Look at me. Look at me. Mm. Um, but that's not it at all. No, no. And um, no, no, I mean they're they're fighting for you know. I mean, you, menstruation is a normal mm. act of of life, and mm. without it, there would be no life, and it shouldn't be something <laughs> that should be hidden behind a curtain. It's a natural event. And, yeah, and, and what are the views of Campus Watch when they find this um, edition trash and disgusting, etc.? Mm. Uh, what does that say about their values? Now, of course, a, a security guard or any employee of the university can have whatever values they like. And, and, and take them home with them. Yeah. But it's, it's uh, not part of their job to uh, impose their own personal values on the general campus. That's right, that's right. I wonder if they've got a big write-up of official values of the <laughs> practice office. Uh, Alright, let's move on to the Workplace Relations Bill. Uh, a law was passed. Um, what is the new law? What does it say? Okay, it's essentially going back to the situation we had before the last national government. So, um, <coughs> we have the Employment Relations Act, which the Helen Clark Labour government uh, brought in, um, brought in, I should say, and uh, then um, this was amended by the previous national government. No radical changes, but um, it, 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 the amendments made it more friendly towards businesses and employers. Mm. So the new law, it uh, gets rid of the 90-day trials uh, for any small businesses, but um, uh, so that's uh, any businesses with However, any v- yes, no, I'll say yeah. again. Rewind, 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 rewind. Uh, yes, the law ends 90-day trials for businesses with more than 20 employees, but any business with less 
than 20 employees uh, can still put in place a 90-day trial that's where, one third where they can get rid yeah. of you for whatever reason. That's and that's a third of uh, workers in New yeah, Zealand. Yeah, a third of the workforce. Uh, 27% of all New Zealand businesses have between 1 and 29 employees. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, the stats I looked at today, and maybe I just read it wrong, uh, said that 71% of all businesses have zero employees. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's because, like, tradespeople, for example, uh, uh, the, 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 for tax purposes or legal purposes, are uh, uh, business, and it might be just the, the sole individual maybe more yeah. maybe or maybe there's a lot of companies out there that are just cooking the books Focus. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right oh yeah no no there's only me here and i work uh, 20 hours a day <laughs> i promise yes old money laundering uh anyway uh and also it brings back in set meal breaks yes uh, um so under the previous national government um Employers still had to give meal breaks, but it was up to the employer to decide how long they were and when they were. So um, that that just restores um, uh, the 10-minute uh, rest breaks, two 10-minute rest breaks, and one 30-minute meal break, which doesn't seem a lot to ask. For an eight-hour day. <laughs> yes, for an eight-hour day. Um, also, it goes back to the previous situation where if you have a new employee, uh, you initially, if there is a collective contract, they initially go on that collective contract for 30 days and then have the option to opt out mm. after 30 days. Um, union officials will no longer need the consent of employees to visit uh, workplaces that are already unionised and engaged in bargaining uh, or have an agreement already. So that's a big point. Um, so that's where this uh, legislation has been watered down by the influence of New Zealand first. Um, initially it was going to be mean that um, union officials would have access to all workplaces, uh, but now if, if uh, there's no collective agreement at that workplace or uh, no union members, um, the the employer can make it difficult for the union representative to come on. Mm. Um, and as someone um, who I previously was um, uh, a member of NZDA as well, I did volunteering for Unite Union, and the previous law where, yeah, I could go, say, up to a Starbucks or KFC and say, um, I want to talk to every worker here, uh, they would have to comply, but um, now they can make that difficult. They can still make that difficult. Mm, it's okay. not a return to the previous situation. And, and that's the thing with that one, is the fact that if you already unionise at your workplace, good and proper, that's mm. that's great, but if you're not, how are you going to find out the information? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. how are you going to yeah. become unionised? Mm. Um, which which is an issue, really, because, you know, I mean, every cafe, mm. you know, their staff, yeah. they probably don't know. I mean, how many cafes out there with five or six employees and they don't have collective bargaining, they're not on the unions, don't understand unions, don't know mm. how they can yeah, benefit exactly. them. So um, that's a difficult one. Mm. Um, yeah, so there has been a bit of watering down. and um, But who who really wins here? Is it the employee, the the boss, the employer, or is it kind of 50-50? Yeah? Does it go far enough to really um, bring back some strong strong rights for workers? It will make life a bit easier for union officials. Um, and, uh, yes, uh, I guess one of the uh, big changes is the multi-employer collective agreements clause, uh, which um, incentivises... Uh, Unions are uh, trying to take out um, multi-employer collective agreements. So, um, uh, if, if workers in a workplace decide they want to be part of a multi 
employer collective agreement, then they can um, ask their union, and their union uh, can um, go to the employer, and then they have to enter into negotiations. So that's definitely strengthening the position of use. However, um, there's, there's no duty to conclude with MECA agreements. So that means that the employer has to enter into negotiations, but in the end they can say, stuff off, we're not going to be part of this um, which is different to individual collective negotiations, so between one business and the union where um, uh, the the union the employer and the union do have an, a, an obligation to conclude negotiations mm-hmm. so yes uh, uh, it's certainly not, national saying this is a return to uh, the 1970s <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, with sort of enforced negotiations between the government unions and uh, various employers but that's not the case Um, um, yeah because employers aren't obliged to be part of mecca agreements well it should be the case (coughs) excuse me um what are the business community saying because they were taking out full page ads Mm. you know because they can do that because mm. they've got the money. Yeah. Yes. Well, they've used some pretty disingenuous arguments, I feel. Um, um, for example, that they don't want unions to have automatic access to a work site because that might lead to um, sharing of uh, industrial secrets or working oh, secrets yeah, with other companies. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> oh, gee, I, went, I just went to this other place. And, <laughs> gee, you should have seen it. Mm. Um, I, I guess from an employer's point of view, to, to, to just to, um, be the devil's advocate, to pull a across their point of view, um, Treasury has made it very clear that this will, um, this new legislation will uh, have an, uh, will push uh, wages generally upwards and oh. conditions upwards, oh, uh, which will increase uh, costs for employers. And uh, we, you know we live in a, um, a very competitive economy that's operating on a world scale, um, and so. Uh, as if costs increase for employers, uh, this can this could lead potentially to some businesses uh, shifting offshore, uh, where labour costs are lower, or going under, or um, having to push up their prices, mm. which will have an effect on consumers, etc., etc. How many manufacturing companies do we have left in New Zealand that have the ability to go offshore? Not many, not no, many. So, I mean, I mean, certainly they can't shift a whole uh, dairy industry offshore. No, well, they've tried. Uh, this Uruguay, you know, China, yes. and uh, mm. etc. Yeah, Chile, Chile. Moves, yeah. Uh, and now they're going to sell tip top. Uh, um, yeah, but like, I mean, I guess you could look at like Scott's Technology and companies like that. Um, mm. But I mean, they already get the majority of that. I mean, it's almost just assembly here, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's very little manufacturing as such here, except in the dairy industry, um, yeah. which isn't exactly manufacturing. But um, oh, yeah, of, they're, um, they're importing whole sheds here now, anyway, whole milking sheds. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, but. I guess, again, uh, the argument would be, well, um, if wages go up um, uh, without productivity going up, then uh, the employers will have to offload those costs somewhere, and um, so that might lead to, you know, an increase in inflation. So that's, yeah, to give the employer's point of view. Well, I mean, essentially they'll pass the cost on to the consumer, but now the consumer's making more money because you're paying them more, so it's probably Mm. offset that way anyway. I don't know. Mm. I don't know how this stuff works. It's business. It's too much for me. Uh, What are the unions saying? Are the unions happy? Uh, Are they upset about the watering down? Um, Uh, uh, On the face of it, they're happy. 
um, and, and presenting this as a positive shift in industrial legislation. Um, however, uh, when New Zealand First had indicated that it wanted various clauses amended, especially in relation to the 90-day trials um, and, and union access uh, to work sites, then um, the unions were very quick to try and negotiate with New Zealand First and, and lobby New Zealand First. So um, although they might not be saying it officially, I think they will be uh, really deeply unhappy that, that this legislation isn't the legislation that Labour promised the mm-hmm. unions. And let, let's remember there's a, Labour has a close relationship with unions. There's several unions that are um, affiliated to Labour and um, generally, uh, like the big public sector unions, although they're quite happy to go on strike against Labour at the moment, the Labour-led government, are generally have a, that close relationship with Labour, which doesn't exist between um, national and the unions. And, uh, yeah, I guess um, New Zealand First, uh, at times I've, I've heard that Winston Peters will go and, and talk to unions and uh, union conferences, but he's also presents himself as a firm friend of uh, medium-sized and smaller businesses. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Paris now. Um, yes, Paris is burning. Paris is burning all night long. Um, what started out as fuel protests, uh, uh, tax increases in fuel, um, increases in gas and the like as well, um, in terms of tax for carbon offsetting and the mm-hmm. like, uh, has turned into full-blown revolution <laughs> uh, with protesters calling for the head of the president. Yes, it's it's quite extraordinary, and it's quite extraordinary that these protests uh, haven't been initiated or led by the traditional uh, large left-wing groups in France, so these several um, um, reasonably sized uh, Trotskyist organisations in France that have done well in elections before. Um, there's the old Communist Party, which was a mass party at one stage of millions of people in France. Um, and there's uh, um, trade unions, with some of the trade unions can be very militant, but th- this, these protests have really evolved out of social media, and especially Facebook, and, and, and um, if not leaderless, uh, don't have any clear leadership. Um, and uh, yeah, just they just seem to be drawing in ordinary people who are frustrated at raising living costs, uh, um, the, the significant levels of taxation that lower income and, and middle income people have to pay, and the reforms in tax which actually have made poorer people worse off, and have made middle income people slightly better off and upper income people a lot better off. Yeah, well, I mean, let's remember the platform that Macron came in on, right? Mm-hmm. You know, which is the typical platform platform that everybody's coming in on and then changes their tune as soon as they get in is that um, you know the, you, there's going to be less unemployment it's going to be it's going to be better for the worker mm. uh, we're going to raise the minimum wage we're going to raise the you know uh, the, you know raise the level of living for mm. for the poorer people and none of that has happened in no. fact the opposite has happened I guess I guess the one thing that he has tried to deliver is uh, industrial reform uh, in, in a right-wing way so um, um, I guess France is a bit more like New Zealand back in the 70s, a, a heavily regulated uh, workplace environment. Um, and in um, Macron's arguments was that it had to be completely deregulated, uh, to um, which would, would bring down the level of unemployment, which would bring more young people into employment. So he has been able to push through some of those labour reforms. Mm. Yeah, that's right, that's right. But... Uh, um 
it seems with with the tax is benefiting the rich he's trying to play the trickle down card yeah, very much so. I mean, he's very much, uh, I, I guess, in the mould of, uh, say, Tony Blair, the previous uh, um, Labour leader in Prime Minister in Britain. Or John yeah. um, I just mean with trickle down. Yeah. yeah, I think John Key was more of a centrist, though, oh. and, and like he wasn't a... Uh, a hard free marketeer. No, um, he, he uh, saw the need for you know state intervention in the economy and some regulation. Well, he had no choice. So yeah. We were going through the EFG or whatever it is, big, yes. the big friendly giant. Uh, you, you know, and he had to keep the economy afloat. So, mm. so there was a lot of state intervention. But in uh, Europe, I mean, certain states have uh, carried out hysteracy in relation yeah. to the global financial crisis, such as in Britain um, and Germany to a degree, and then states like Greece have been um, in well, Ireland. It's been forced to uh, carry out austerity policies, but yeah, no, Key didn't do that. Um, so I guess um, Macron is really trying to break what has been a consensus in France really since the late 60s, mm. where um, unions have a, a forced role. Uh, in, in the economy and in negotiations uh, and, and where the labour relations are heavily regulated. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what comes like, I mean, I don't really want to take it to Brexit but Brexit's going to make things a lot worse after what is already happening. Um, yes. You know, it's, especially yeah. with France. I mean, it's hard to say exactly. France um, is so close to England. They mm. have the Channel um, you know, they ha- a- a- and they have, you know they have all the big ports that mm-hmm. sending stuff to each other all the time. They're really tight, and if you really if you broke it all down, on individual states within the European Union in terms of import export, mm-hmm. I mean France and um, Britain would probably be the most closely tied together. Um, out, out of the lot. Mm, mm. I mean, under the deal that uh, Theresa May has uh, negotiated, um, the, 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 the free trade agreements basically carry on between. So, uh, for the next few years, it, it would the current situation in terms of the economic relationship of Britain to the rest of Europe just carries on. But that needs to be renegotiated. Mm. Can this be seen as like? You know, and we talked about this the other day as one of the first real major protests against measures to fight climate change. Um, mm. You know, because these fuel taxes were coming in to offset carbon. You know, certainly with with the fuel for cars. Um, mm. You know, there's going to be rises in the prices of electricity and gas as well in the next six months uh, in France, and that's another. Oh, that, thing that 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 been put on hold. Yeah, so the all been put down. on hold. Yeah. But the, the, these protests initially started uh, for it was a fuel protest. Mm. You know, the rise of, in fuel. Um, so could this be seen as you know one of the first major nations um, having protests? Um, from the people that I would essentially think in France uh, are, are all for measures to fight mm. climate change, mm. but this is one of those ones where we don't want to pay for it. Mm. Yeah, I think it can de- definitely be um, thought about in those terms. Um, it's like a litmus test. Uh, if, if, uh, one way of dealing with climate change is to, um, yeah, basically put in place taxes uh, which disincentivise or incentivise people to use um, more green um, energy yeah. uh, and to use less electricity, to use less fuel, uh, etc. Um, I guess this is an example that if if the general population or poorer or middle-income parts of the population are the ones that are made to feel the pain, uh, then uh, there's a real possibility that they will fight back.
Yeah, it's time to go the way Luxembourg has just gone with free public transport. I mean, yes. Luxembourg is not exactly mm. a, a huge nation, mm. but still, you know, it's pretty mm. much a city state. Mm. But but still, you know, free free public transport. Um, it's a very rich state, I might mm. add as well. I think it's yes. the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Um, yeah, but that's, that I guess it does provide a model, an alternative yeah. uh, to just uh, putting up taxes. And um, I mean, I watched a couple of uh, documentaries yesterday. One on uh, the Vice site, and another one, um, actually an alt-right Canadian site, Radical News, and they were just interviewing people uh, at the protests. And, and, and one of the strongest issues was people who live in more rural areas or provincial areas, or sort of on the outskirts of the city, they need to use their cars to get to work, um, to just go to the shop, to mm. the markets, etc. Yes. And the, it didn't seem like there were really any other options, well, uh, according uh, to these people who were being interviewed. France is incredibly rural. Mm. Incredibly rural. It's a connection of villages, essentially. I mean, the next largest city outside of Paris is only 350,000 people. Yeah, that's... yeah. Mm. You know, I, I, I would assume that the urban area, that, that would be urban, but the wider population within that city and offshoots and mm. villages on the outside would make it a lot bigger. But, yeah, essentially, um, Paris is the only massive big city in, in France. Uh, so it's a heavily rural nation. Mm. It still has 36 million people. Yeah, so people are uh, reliant on, on using their cars yeah. to, to live and to function and get to work and, and to do shopping. And their and tractors. Right, and they're tractors, yes, mate. Point. Yeah, you good always point. see those protests <laughs> over there with the people on tractors, yeah. and um, you know, and you've got to think about the amount of trucks taking things around the places as well. Mm. Um, you know, when we see, we see things go down on the uh, on the border to to England with the, at the Channel, um, there's trucks backed up for miles. Um, anyway, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank okay. you very much. Uh, see you next week for the final edition for sure for the year.